Hi, I'm Simon Drew, and you're listening to the Practical Stoic Podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes of the show, as well as articles and information about my one-on-one alignment coaching, then you can head to my website. It's simonjedrew.com. If you do have the means to support the show, then I'd love to see you in my Patreon community. Just go to patreon.com forward slash simonjedrew, where you'll also get access to over 240 episodes recorded before 2020. But for now, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, thank you so much for spending your time here with me on the Practical Stoic Podcast. Now, today we have an unbelievably fascinating guest, uh, somebody who I was so grateful to have a chat with. Uh, His name is Trolls Engberg Peterson. And if you haven't heard of Trolls before, then I'll tell you just a little bit about him now. He's got quite an extensive resume. Uh, So he's a Pauline theologian, author, and professor of New Testament exegesis at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. For approximately 25 years, Peterson has focused his attentions on the writings of Paul the Apostle and on exploring how the structure and context of the Pauline uh, epistles align with themes which are present in Stoic philosophy of the Hellenistic period. When set in conjunction with Paul's identity as a Greco-Roman Jew, the implications of Paul's letters stand out as a demonstration of how the early Christian church community developed in light of the Greco-Roman world which surrounded it. So he's also got some really fascinating books out as well, one including uh, Paul and the Stoics, and there's a link to that book in the show notes as well. But this was just such a fun conversation for me to have uh, personally because it was one of those conversations where, you know, you're talking to somebody who is just so unbelievably intelligent and it makes you think, oh, I have so far to go in my understanding of this philosophy and of everything in general. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's, it, it's a crushing thought and it's also a liberating thought because there's so much to learn. And, uh, and you know, Trolls really uh, was just so generous with his time and, uh, and with his wisdom as well. So um, I learned a lot from this interview and I know that you guys will too. And before we jump in, I'll just let you know that we kind of started and ended the interview in a very conversational format. I mean, all the way through, really. Uh, So the start and the end of this episode is kind of chopped in there. Uh, But anyway, without any further ado, I present to you this interview with Charles Engberg-Peterson. Going back to to uh, stoicism and what you call a sort of spiritual um, dimension. Um, that That is a difficult uh, issue because I think the stoics were what we would call uh, materialists. Hmm. Um, but of course it does not uh, exclude uh, that there is a, a, a dimension of cognition that is equally important. I, I, I see it uh, like this, that, that it's both material and uh, cognitive at the same time, and that is, in a way, uh, part of the, the point of Stoicism. Mm. So it's definitely not, as I understand Stoicism, it's definitely not the kind of spiritual dimension uh, that you will find in Platonism. 
Hmm. Does that ring a bell with you? It does. You know, I've been really wanting to get into Platonism for quite some time mm-hmm. now, um, but I, mm-hmm. but I want to get my head around Stoicism before I jump over there, right? Because I know right. that it's kind of a completely new level, right? It's a it's it's mm-hmm. a, it's, it's very. Uh, I don't want to get in over my head yet. <laughs> right, right, right. But as I see it, uh, there was a kind of. Um, well, what you would call a struggle uh, in ancient philosophy between Plato to begin with uh, and Aristotle also, who was, of course, a kind of Platonist. Platonist. He, he, he definitely was. He, he did um, think of the soul as being divided between something that was uh, basically material um, and where you would also um, put uh, perception uh, even though, of course, perception has a sort of cognitive side to it. Um, uh, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, um, thought, um, which was non-material. Uh, mm. So Aristotle, in the, the treatise of his, the Anima, uh, he basically takes over a platonic understanding of this kind of duality between materialism and spiritualism. Or, or well, spirit, spirit. The term spirit is not actually quite appropriate when you talk about uh, Plato and Aristotle, because uh, if spirit goes back to to Pluma, do you understand mm. what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, I, then, I wanted to get into this as well. Yeah, definitely. Okay, if spirit goes back to Pluma, then uh, the Pluma does not play any very important role in. Platonism, it does in Aristotle a little bit in uh, a treatise he wrote that is called De Motu Animalium on the movement of animals. Uh, Mm. There he tries to account for the fact that animals can um, move, etc., because they have uh, desire, etc. He tries to account for that by bringing in actually the notion of pneuma. So uh, Pluma does begin to play uh, some role in Aristotle, but definitely not in the huge uh, uh, scale that it does in in Stoicism. So one has to be careful about uh, using the term spiritual, spiritualism or whatever, Mm. uh, because uh, it's it's really not uh, the same kind of thing as either in uh, Aristotle or in Stoicism. Mm. Um, So... Uh, if we talk about well, uh, I was I was talking about this battle between uh, the Platonic Aristotelian dual, dualism uh, and then the Stoic, and I be, really believe it is a Stoic monism that they wanted to account for the the world as a whole in well by by using one basic. Uh, um, way of understanding uh, everything in the world, which is both material and cognitive at the same time. Um, but then after that, you see, um, uh, Platonists or Platonism began to reassert itself in the first century BCE and then afterwards and then of course it became the reigning philosophy in the second century the third etc etc and that was a move back to the original platonic uh, dualistic way of thinking Hmm. so this is I think there is this kind of battle going on 
uh, in uh, ancient philosophy between uh, a basically Platonic way of uh, thinking and a Stoic one, and mm. the Platonists won. Yeah, and and this is this is one of the one of the main reasons why I really want to learn about Platonism and Neoplatonism is because. Obviously, you know, your work has largely been um, focused on the influence of Stoicism with Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I read something like from from Nietzsche uh, uh, saying um, that Christianity is is neo or I think Platonism or Neoplatonism for the people. And when I saw, right. saw him say that, right. I, I was like, wow, OK, yeah, like I, I need to but, learn but, some more but, about this. But- that is because um, when Christianity, as it were, be- became, uh, what should you say, became uh, overtly philosophical, <laughs> uh, and that is in the second century and the third centuries onward, yeah. uh, it was Platonism that they engaged with and, and, and uh, interacted with. Uh, both taking over a whole lot of uh, the now, by now, middle Platonist or neo-Platonist uh, vocabulary and conceptuality, and also, of course, uh, distancing themselves in certain areas. Uh, so, so, so Nietzsche is right in saying that uh, Christianity is uh, a sort of uh, Platonism for the for the poor man. But, but what we are talking about, or should be talking about, is precisely the period before that, namely the New Testament. Uh, where the engagement with uh, philosophy among the Christians is not so overt, but uh, more, uh, as it were, under, uh, well, it's something that creeps in uh, under what they basically uh, want to say about the world. And then, as I believe, it creeps in and it actually helps to uh, articulate what they want to say. But they do want to say something somewhat different uh, from mm. from 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 just philosophy so yeah. in the new testament world um as i see it uh, philosophy comes in to help them articulate but they also want to distance them distance themselves from philosophy um, and that is where Stoicism becomes relevant, because in this period, um, uh, first century uh, CE, it is actually Stoicism that that was a sort of uh, dominant reigning uh, philosophy. Uh, uh, Platonism hadn't fully, uh, as it were, uh, reasserted itself uh, to the extent that it did later on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, man, this is this is all stuff that I need to get. I need to get mm-hmm. my my head around hey because there's so there's so much yes. there, and I mean yeah. it's so cool that you've spent your whole life researching this sort of stuff because honestly right. when you search for this sort of stuff online, there's not a lot out there. There's not a lot mm-hmm. of people talking about the links between Christianity and and the early Christianity and and Stoicism or even Platonism. Um, but yeah, t- tell me tell me the story of Paul and the Stoics earlier on like tell me the story Mm -hmm. of of how he actually interacted with the philosophers of of rome right um uh there was one thing i wanted to yeah uh, i just wanted to to uh, finish the um uh, little uh, the the little um 
overview I gave you of the relationship between philosophy and Christianity by mentioning a book of mine that came was published in 2017. I was only the editor, uh, the yeah. one called um, From Platonism, From Stoicism to Platonism. Mm. Um, because there you can see that there is actually um, uh, um, an intense discussion among scholars about whether it is correct to say that at the time when the earliest Christians uh, wrote the New Testament, it was Stoicism that was, as it were, the dominant uh, philosophy, or whether one should say, uh, as some people do, that um, Platonism had already reasserted itself to such an extent that uh, it might just as well be uh, some kind of middle Platonism that the early Christians were drawing on. Mm. Uh, and I would also like to mention there uh, one uh, scholar in particular who might be of uh, great interest to you, uh, namely, namely George Boyce Stones. Boyce mm. hyphen Stones. Uh, he has a very nice uh, piece in that book uh, where he argues for uh, the thesis that um, uh, Platonism had reasserted itself already in the first century uh, BCE. Uh, and he has also edited a, a wonderful uh, volume with Cambridge University Press uh, on, um, yeah, what is it? It's, it? it's something about Middle Platonism and Neoplatonism, where he uh, where he really presents the whole um, philosophy of that kind of uh, of, of Platonism um, before we come to Plotinus. Uh, so it's 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 a source book uh, and and with introduction by himself explaining what is taking taking place in the sources. Uh, it's really uh, very well uh, worth reading. Hmm. Uh, to come back to your question, well, let me uh, redirect. Read, let me redirect the question because that just made mm -hmm. me think. You know, you you, you talk about. Um, you know, which philosophy was dominant at the time. Mm -hmm. Some, you know, Stoicism had its time in the light and then Platonism and then Neoplatonism. Yeah. And then um, is it almost the case, um, is it almost the case that uh, the philosophies were kind of wrestling with each other to have the kind of dominant position in society, but then Christianity just had such a massive upsurge that it just took over the general morale of of most people and people started focusing on that way more than any other of the philosophies is that one of the reasons but but, but that's later that's yeah. later that's not the first century i think it's it's correct to say that it is the first century ce philosophy sorry christianity was a very very small uh, group of course it began to um develop into the uh, non-Jewish areas, that is where Paul comes in. Uh, but um, but, but the, the, what Paul created were those tiny groups that, that were, you know, scattered uh, in, in various uh, cities, etc. It, it wasn't a big movement at all in the first century uh, CE. Then gradually it does become, uh, of course, uh, as we know, uh, stronger and stronger. Um, but I don't think it's um, perhaps correct. Yeah, well, you're, you're asking whether it takes over from uh, philosophy, but philosophy was there all the time also alongside. Mm. I think it has to do something with uh, social layers in society. Uh, there were intellectuals, uh, Platonist philosophers all the time, and they, they Plotinus is one very good example uh, of that. Um, and... Um, and uh, 
when you come to Augustine, of course, also he engaged uh, to a very large extent with philosophy. Uh, but at that time, of course, and but I think mainly for social reasons, whatever they were. Uh, uh, sorry, what happened now? Uh, anyway, yeah. it's 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 okay. <laughs> mm. uh, for social reasons, gradually uh, uh, Christianity uh, got the upper hand. Um, it's an interesting question because it does touch on the role of philosophy in society. Uh, all through this period. And there it is probably correct to say that, um, well, philosophers, they were also a tiny, tiny group, and their influence was not that important uh, socially. Uh, so, so, so when something else came that also had perhaps a little more the character of a religion and uh, certain social practices around it, etc., then that, 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 uh, uh, movement was in a better position to uh, persuade people to uh, accept them. So, but but it's it's an interesting discussion we are having because it shows how important the social dimension of either yes. uh, movement is. Mm. But, and that's kind but, of why you see such a resurgence now, right? It's like you know now that we have social media, a lot more people are getting together in groups. Discussing mm -hmm. philosophy, discussing yeah, yeah. Stoicism. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, you talk about the kind of rituals involved with Christianity, the coming together mm -hmm. and doing certain rituals mm -hmm. together. I mean, yeah. there's a very high ritual element to Stoicism, right, which people are really picking up right now in society. Yes, that is right. But I don't think there is any real substantial ritual element. Well, ritual in, is the in... wrong word. Practices, you know, disciplines that you okay. do in your life that, that connect okay. you with okay. the philosophy. Yeah. Uh, when I heard that you, you used the term ritual, I thought you were thinking more in in, in terms of religion, etc. Uh, and uh, there is, as far as I know, there's really no, in that sense, ritual dimension to yeah. Stoicism. There may have been to Epicureanism, uh, which is quite interesting in itself. You know, Epicureanism was a philosopher that developed alongside Stoicism, mm. and they were two of the uh, very important um, philosophies during the so-called Hellenistic period. And there may have been a, a bit of a, a ritual uh, dimension to uh, Epicureanism, but, but that has something more to do with uh, the particular role of Epicurus himself uh, within that movement. I don't mm. think you'll find the same thing in, in, in Stoicism. But mm. back to uh, Stoicism and, and Paul, um, let me tell you something uh, here. Um, uh, how should I uh, put it? Mm. Uh, when I started working on, on this, I came with a background in uh, ancient philosophy, uh, Aristotle, and, and then Stoicism also. Uh, and then I started reading Paul, and then I thought, well, um, in order to get a proper grasp of what is going on here, you are wonderfully helped if you know something about Stoicism, have that at the back of your mind. And so I read some of the important um, central passages in uh, his letter to the Galatians, his letter to the Romans, etc. And I tried to um, analyze them using this uh, Stoic uh, material as, as, a, as a sort of framing uh, way of thinking. And that 
helped me uh, so much that I wrote about it, etc. And so I uh, proposed to, to people that uh, they might um, uh, begin to think of, uh, of Paul in that way. Uh, there, as I said, told you, I focused particularly on um, the, the letter to Galatians, the letter to the Romans, also a little bit the letter to the Philippians. They are pretty late uh, letters in Paul's production. Uh, at um, a later, and, and, and I should also add that uh, what I was focusing on there in those passages in, in Galatians, Philippians, and, and Romans were particularly uh, Stoic ethics. We can go back perhaps a little later in our talk uh, to see what that actually means a little more in detail. But uh, right now, I just want to give you the uh, broader uh, outline, as it were. So that was what my first book on Paul and the Stoics was basically on, these three letters and, and uh, with a focus on ethics. Hmm. But then, uh, 10 years later, I became interested in what Paul says in uh, another letter, uh, namely 1 Corinthians, uh, on um, the bodily resurrection, uh, which is the topic of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, and there he talks about how the um, the so-called psychic body uh, is uh, changed into a pneumatic body. And that is what happens at the resurrection. Christ returns and he himself um, is pneumatic uh, in, in, in some way. Uh, and then he um, transforms, helps to transform uh, the psychic, that is normal uh, flesh and blood uh, uh, bodies of, of, of believers, so that they get or even become pneumatic bodies. And I became mm. interested in this notion of pneumatic body, that in, in, in line with what we were talking about, about spiritualism, that sounds mm, not uh, not very uh, platonic, but precisely story because you can have there uh, the idea of a body that uh, is different from a normal body of flesh and blood because it is informed by the pneuma which mm. is um, according to stoics uh, is um, a type of material that is, combines uh, fire and air so we are as it were up there and in this passage uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul also very explicitly speaks, speaks about uh, um, uh, about the bodies in, in heaven, the sun, the moon, etc., etc., and then he goes on talking about this uh, uh, pneumatic uh, body that Christ believers become. Um, and, and, and that means that I tried to analyze and explain that uh, passage and the argument in that passage Again, by drawing on stoic ideas, but in this case, not ethical ideas, but uh, ideas that come from physics. Hmm. Stoic physics, uh, when, when you talk about the four elements and, and combination, how the whole world is held together, etc., etc., by the pneuma, you are talking uh, natural philosophy physics. Um, so that was, as it were, the, the next step uh, for me. Uh, and 
the third step, but that uh, that is also part of it in 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 the book of mine from 2010, um, is to combine the two, the physics and the ethics, uh, and to try to show how important uh, precisely the physical material pneuma is to account for what Paul says about practice, about ethical practice. Uh, so, so that 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 was the, the in a way the the line I I had taken up until uh, and including that book from 2010, uh, which is called hmm, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, bup, 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 bup. Anyway, cosmology and self uh, in the Apostle Paul, the material spirit. Hmm. <clears throat> But then the last point <laughs> that I want to present to you here um, um, proceeds in a slightly different way. It, it's just an addition to, to, to what I've already uh, been, been saying and, and uh, presented to uh, people. But it is um, an addition in the following way. Uh, I have been very uh, interested, interested in the fact of trying to see whether there is a kind of development in the Pauline letters uh, in terms of his use of philosophy. Uh, and there, if you begin with what is indubitably uh, the first letter, which is uh, first the first letter to the Thessalonians, hmm. a small letter, a beautiful letter, um, very uh, interesting to read. But if you, and, and in a way you can say that Paul presents in First Thessalonians everything that goes into his message to uh, Christ believers. There's talk about their, um, uh, their um, conversion in a way. They have t turned round to uh, uh, the Jewish God and to uh, Jesus Christ, etc. There's talk of, again, uh, what will happen um, when Christ returns, uh, etc. He's very precise and, and specific about that, but not at all philosophical. That, that's the interesting thing, uh, that he can, as it were, uh, present his basic message uh, in a way that doesn't really uh, uh, build very much on any kind of philosophy. One, one doesn't need to uh, have philosophy uh, in order to be able to understand what he's saying. But, but so that's first Thessalonians. But then when we come to these later letters, um, as I have already explained, I think that he does uh, make a lot of use of uh, particularly Stoic philosophy that he must have had somewhere at the back of his mind in order to uh, help him articulate what is in a way basically the same message that he presented in First Thessalonians. Only now it, it has been developed and, and become much more uh, encompassing. Um, and and this, is, this is, I think, an interesting idea because it's, it sort of shows that the relationship between Christianity and philosophy um, is created by Paul in that step from First Thessalonians and into, particularly I would say, into uh, the letter to, letter to the Galatians. Uh, and there may be one very good reason why he begins to draw so much on philosophy in Galatians, namely that there, you may not know anything about it, but he is confronted with a, a really um, difficult task of persuading 
the Galatians whom he has converted to uh, Christianity, persuading them not to become Jews. Uh, I mean, Christ's faith was a Jewish something, and and uh, some some people came after Paul had been with the Galatians, telling them that uh, well, they, it was nice that they had become uh, believers in Christ, but they should take the full step, as it were, and become Jews by also uh, being circumcised and adopting the uh, law of Moses in all details, etc. And Paul says, no, 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 uh, I'm against that. You you must not do that. Christ's faith suffices. It's enough. If you also want to become Jews, then you will also focus on that. But that's wrong because Christ's face does everything for you. And I believe that it is when he has to, is forced by those outsiders to think through more clearly uh, his understanding of the relationship between uh, Christ's face and his Jewish heritage, particularly for non-Jews, then he begins to uh, bring in uh, the philosophy that he had at the back of his mind all through, uh, mm. all the ways through. Um, this is an idea I've, uh, you know, I've floated it some somewhere, and I I, I really uh, like it a, a lot because one can, as it were, see how um, philosophy becomes uh, an important tool for Paul to express not something else than what he wants to express, but precisely to express in a reflected and encompassing uh, deep way what he has been wanting to say all along. Hmm. Yeah, so th this is, this is this, I mean, there's so much that I want to unpack in there because there's so much good mm -hmm. stuff that you just said. One of the concepts that I uh, have never really kind of thought about, but, but you made me uh, really think about just then was that, uh, what we're seeing in the New Testament is is uh, actually a progression, uh, uh, at least in the works that were written by Paul, a progression of his thinking and him using mm -hmm. different tools at different times uh, mm -hmm. for different mm -hmm. purposes. Um, mm -hmm. And and I never I never really saw it like that. But then you know, really interesting. Just there, you're talking about how he's he's using philosophy as as a tool to dictate uh, the theology that he wants to get across or the religion mm -hmm. that he wants to get across. Mm -hmm. it, it makes me think of this. Um, uh, you know how they used to say, um, I read this in a theolo theology book um, recently, they used to say that uh, theology was the mother of all sciences and philosophy her handmaiden. Is that kind of yeah, the yeah. relationship that, that Paul had there? He was trying to figure out what all this was and he was using mm -hmm. philosophy as his kind of toolbox in order to mm -hmm. show people what he was trying to say. Mm -hmm. That that way of understanding the relationship between uh, theology and philosophy uh, is, in a way, a later one, uh, at, at least as articulated with the handmaid, etc. Uh, that that is late ancient and then medieval. Um, you can find something like that in Thomas Aquinas, etc. Uh, it's not at all articulated uh, by Paul in in that way, and I. Mm, yeah, and and he does not he does not have, as it were, two distinct uh, concepts: one being theology and one being philosophy. Mm. Uh, so, uh, 
I'm not quite happy with uh, bringing back that later uh, conceptual conceptual uh, way of conceiving it uh, to Paul himself. But in a way, I think you are right in saying that 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 is what he is actually doing, as it were. If I'm right in my understanding of how he uses uses philosophy to articulate his mm. uh, uh, his his basic message. Uh, but one example why. Uh, th that shows that he doesn't have theology and philosophy as, uh, you know, two distinct and separate uh, entities, is that in the, at the beginning, chapters one and two, uh, first Corinthians, uh, he speaks about uh, Sophia, which means wisdom, mm. uh, and he speaks about Greek Sophia, uh, Greek wisdom, um, and he says that, well, the Greeks have wisdom, the Jews have something about God's majesty and things like that. Um, uh, but but what, what we have, we Christians, uh, is something uh, different. Um, I could explain that more, but uh, but but that he it's for, for my point here, it's important that he starts out with talking about Greek Sophia and says, well, that's one thing. Uh, it's not e exactly us. Uh, and he also says then that uh, there's something about the Jews that not not quite us either, even though, as we all know, uh, uh, Paul's Christ faith is Jewish. So what he means is just that those Jews who are not believers, they, etc., etc. But then he goes on in chapter uh, two by saying, we, meaning Christ believers, also have a Sophia. That is, he, he and then he explains what that uh, amounts to, etc. That is, he uses the same term, Sophia, both for what we might say was Greek philosophy, and also for, for what we might say is Pauline theology. Mm. Uh, so, so that's, I think, a striking example that he doesn't have these two uh, different concepts, yet that's something that develops later in, in uh, Christian thinking, uh, mm. basically. Uh, he uses one term, Sophia, but that precisely also shows that um, the use he can make of Greek Sophia, even though he doesn't conceptualize it or, or doesn't uh, at, uh, doesn't accept it uh, as Greek Sophia. The use he can use uh, make of that uh, is precisely. It's one thing. It's it's our special Sophia, not not something theology that is different from something else. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, he, it, it's something completely different. He's saying we have something very special that is not necessarily in any of these other camps, but it's something completely different. And But he uses the same term for it as hmm. for Greek Sophia. That, yeah. that's, a, that's a point. Uh, it, it's, it's different, of course, he has said that, but it's also the same. In, in some other way, and then he has to specify how it is different and how, it, how it's the same. The important point is that he uses the same term for both things. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and why, why do you think he does that? Why do I think he does that? I think that is because he is at a stage, uh, he's a Jew, 
he is thinking as a Jew. He is thinking about um, the Jewish uh, messianic expectation that has now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. So he's he's basically thinking out of this um, very differentiated, but also relatively sharply uh, um, pinpointed kind of Jewish tradition. But since he lives at this period when in the world around him, there were both Jews with all their uh, traditions, etc., and also people thinking like uh, the Greeks and the Romans, that is philosophy, in philosophy. For that reason, he is uh, encompassing um, philosophy. For And why? Because philosophy was at that time the best and in a way recognized by everyone as being the best way of articulating, sharpening, presenting what it is that you want to say. So he is incorporating uh, philosophy into uh, his own uh, message. And, and that is what he shows by t- even taking over the term itself, Sophia wisdom, uh, which basically means uh, ancient philosophy um, of, the, of the Greek type. He takes that over and um, uses it to uh, then spell out what it is that he himself as a Jew now really thinks has happened to the world. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does make sense. And um, and and what I, what I really love to do is maybe can we jump back a little bit into the the uh, um, what what am I trying to say here? Back into the uh, not the ethics. Oh my gosh, whatever it whatever it's called. Uh, back into where you're talking about the psychic body and the uh, the pneuma body. Um, mm-hmm. or, and because I've heard uh, pneuma basically defined as the breath of life. Um, yes. Now, now, yeah. I I haven't spent a lot of time actually looking into this, but I need to. But but can you can you define for me a little bit more uh, what pneuma was, what its origins were, and how they kind of came to that kind of definition of what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on on what you mean by they, <laughs> because yeah. there is a tradition in in uh, Jewish thinking. Of course, if you go whole, uh, go the whole way back to um, uh, to Genesis, um, there is a tradition that when God created the world, uh, there was a spirit, uh, as it were. Um, uh, what, what does it say? Um, uh, moving across the waters or over the waters or whatever, and and that that is part of uh, Jewish thinking that um, there is uh, an idea of uh, divine uh, spirit that is uh, important and and uh, helps um, uh, God to intervene in the world and uh, do whatever He wants to do, etc. But but in in the Jewish tradition, it's not um, you know spelled out in the way that a philosopher uh, would spell it out. Um, whereas in Stoicism, it is precisely spelled out, as we spoke about a, bit, uh, um, a moment ago. Um, they thought that the pneuma was a kind of mixture of um, fire and air. Um, but but the, and and then they went on also to say that that accounts for um, the fact that the pneuma 
holds the whole world uh, together. Um, it is a sort of energy in matter uh, that, that keeps the whole uh, world together and then also is, is involved when, uh, as you probably know, um, the world is moving towards its um, um, well, the Big Bang, out of which comes again the same world, and then it moves on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's it's a pneuma mm. all through that 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 does this uh, with the world as a uh, as a whole. So in Stoicism, and this is important, um, pneuma is to be found everywhere, uh, but then pneuma can also have different degrees, as it were. It can be, be it can be mm, less powerful uh, in material objects, as we say, but it can also be much more powerful in uh, the mind and in uh, human thinking. It is a pneuma that accounts for the fact that we can think, we can be, as it were, um, far away and, and think about uh, what uh, things that happened uh, way back and, uh, and things that, that happened on the other uh, side of the earth, etc., etc. It's all the pneuma that accounts for that. Uh, and the pneuma is able to um, assert itself, as it were, in human beings as thought. It, it is what accounts for thought. So, so even in Stoicism, there, there, there's a differentiation, uh, as it were, uh, between the way the pneuma functions in, in ordinary material uh, objects and uh, the way it can also and uh, function in, in human beings. But my point then is that if you look carefully at uh, what Paul says in that uh, passage, first Corinthians chapter 15, uh, where he is trying to explain um, what will the resurrection body be like. There, there, there are some people who have, I brought the book here, let me just uh, quote from you what they uh, ask some people in Corinth who have, uh, have asked Paul this. Somebody will say, but how do the dead uh, are the dead raised? With what body will they come, as it were? Uh, and that's the question, with, with what body, uh, Soma? Uh, that is the, the, the question that he's addressing. And when you then look at his argument, uh, it, it points in the direction of uh, introducing, well, first talking about these heavenly bodies that we were talking about before, uh, and then it ends up with uh, the sort of opposition between uh, a psychic body and a pneumatic uh, body. And he concludes by saying that, uh, what is it? Um, uh, flesh and, and blood uh, cannot uh, inherit uh, the kingdom of God. Uh, so, but, but what can inherit the kingdom of God is uh, this uh, body that has been transformed by uh, pneuma into a pneumatic body. So um, what I'm saying is that there was a long tradition in uh, Jewish thinking, uh, going back to Genesis, about so talking about uh, the, the, the pneuma spirit uh, in connection with God. But if you want to, as it were, um, 
be as specific as possible in explaining what kind of body will they have when they are raised, etc. Then uh, one has to bring in something more. One has precisely to uh, make use of the tools, as you say, that uh, philosophy has made available uh, to one, and that that is what he's doing. Mm. And 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 so it's it's almost as if they the idea is that there is there's two separate bodies but they are one while we are here like talking for example but then mm-hmm. when you die the idea is that you do inherit the kingdom of god but not in your physical flesh and blood body but yeah. in the the spirit or pneuma um body no, that in a yeah precisely in the pneumatic body yes that's so so it is in a way you could say a bodily resurrection but not a flesh and blood uh, body mm. uh, bodily resurrection it is a resur- it is a, a body that has been transformed by something that is itself bodily namely pneuma but but has a different kind of bodiliness Okay, so um, yeah. so is it almost like it, it's transformed? Be, and, and I want I want to find out how the logos plays into this as well, because I know mm-hmm. that, that that also has a role. Is it almost mm-hmm. as if this uh, the, the 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 idea is that this um, physical world that we come to is kind of a place of growth and development where the pneumatic pneumatic body comes into flesh and blood in order to what gain information to learn to grow and then it is is that any sort of along the lines uh, of what it is well we are talking about paul here yeah. uh, and he has no idea that uh, we human beings of flesh and blood uh, have ever been uh, anywhere else than here down on earth we, we okay. are born uh, with um, uh, bodies of flesh and blood and then he is arguing in this passage that we can at the end uh, of uh, well with the um, um, coming of Christ we can we can then be transformed into a, a different kind of a different kind of body it's it's both it's both different and it's um, body and and the, the notion of transform is important here because he it means and he says it very explicitly I can quote that uh, to you it means that what is resurrected mm, well we agree you and I uh, because he has told us uh, it's not a body of flesh and blood but it is this body and flesh and blood of flesh and blood as transformed. Hmm. So it's not that we, we as it were, um, leave behind uh, flesh and blood and then something else like the soul or whatever uh, will uh, be raised. No, no, it is this flesh and blood, the body of flesh and blood that has been transformed into something that is also a material entity, uh, but, but of a different kind. Okay. Does that, okay. And and this is a very very stoic way of thinking because you know, this kind of transformation of uh, something that is all through uh, a question of a body is, that is a basic stoic idea. So so one, when when one talks about this transformation from a psychic body to a pneumatic body, one must, one must never, as I see it, but there are plenty of people who <laughs> see it differently. Uh, as I see it, one must never think of uh, of any kind of duality. 
in a way, of course, there is a duality because flesh and blood, and body, well, flesh and blood differs from pneuma. But um, but 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 since he explicitly says that it is this body of flesh and blood that is transformed and becomes a, a pneumatic body. Uh, in in another way, it's also enormously important to say that there is no du duality or dualism uh, because the body is, the bodiliness is there all the way. Okay, and 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 how does this sort of so you say that it's very similar to the the Stoic idea? Mm -hmm. um, now, how does that relate to? Um, the stoic uh, cosmopolitan kind of view of uh, you know we are not necessarily separate from the universe but rather that we are one divine mm -hmm. spark of the universe we are one part mm -hmm. within mm -hmm. the giant mm -hmm. yeah whatever whatever you want to call it um how does that relate because it, it sort of makes sense to me that when if you're not talking about a dualist kind of view then you are mm -hmm. talking about something that is is, is not necessarily separate, but that is one and the same, but different. I, I don't quite yeah, know how to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that is where you... That is where you... Well, uh, let me now think how to put it. Um, uh, let us first talk about Stoicism. Um, when the Stoics uh, say that human beings... Can are part of the world as a whole, a, a spark, etc., etc. Uh, that's just a way of saying what we were talking about uh, a bit before. That since human beings have a reason, which is itself, as it were, uh, also a form of of the pneuma, we can think uh, about the world as a whole. Hmm. In the stoic way of conceiving this capacity of ours, they connect us via thinking very uh, strongly with God, uh, the Stoic uh, God. The Stoic God is, in a way, uh, pneuma in this very refined uh, uh, way uh, that will, uh, as it were, be, you know, there is this kind of development, um, uh, the, the, the world gradually becomes more and more refined, and at the end we have a sort of Big Bang, where only one thing is present, and that is God himself. That is the, the highest, uh, most refined form of the world. Out of that then begins to develop again uh, the, all the four uh, elements and the, and the whole world as we know it. But 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 in the Stoic conception, there is this idea of human beings via our uh, logos, our uh, capacity for thinking, as substantiated by the pneuma, uh, we are able to connect with God, um, and 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 uh, okay. So 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 that that that's the Stoic picture. I think that uh, Paul basically had the same idea that since God, as he says somewhere, is himself pneuma, since Christ is himself pneuma, uh, since human beings may become pneumatic uh, bodies, we have the same kind of um, uh, conception of the relationship uh, between human beings after the resurrection. Uh, with, uh, in this case, Christ, and then also with God. 
There, mm. there is a structural similarity there between what the Stoics, uh, the, the Stoic way of conceiving of our relationship with God and the world, and and similarly uh, in uh, in Paul after the resurrection, but before the resurrection, we are. Uh, as he says, and, and rightly, of course, uh, human beings of, of, of flesh and blood who uh, who have in us, uh, as it were, um, a capacity to uh, think and to um, to be um, to be uh, caught or to be struck by the idea of Jesus Christ, and for that reason receiving the pneuma and gradually and eventually becoming pneumatic uh, beings. So I think there's a basic um, strong similarity uh, between Stoicism and and Paul in in this way of understanding the human being and our relationship uh, with the world at large. Hmm. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah, it, it definitely, it definitely does. You know, I'm, and and you, you know, you have to forgive me because I'm way out of my league in a lot of this sort of stuff. Anyway, I'm trying to get my head around it all as well. Um, well, not as well, but uh, you know, I wanted to ask how the logos plays into the idea of uh, humor yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, but that that is a very good question and and obviously a, a central one. Uh, why is it a good question? Why is it central? Because um, because for one thing, logos is an important um, concept in the Christian writings. We could also talk here about uh, uh, the beginning of the Gospel of John, uh, mm. w- which speaks about the, the logos. Um, but also because uh, in Stoicism, I believe that we have the kind of, uh, as it were, the monism with two faces. Uh, one being the material one and one being the cognitive one. Uh, that, that That is the, the, the model you should um, employ to understand what Logos is. Logos is a name precisely for the cognitive side, the cognitive um, yeah, side of this one thing, the other being the pneuma. The pneuma is, uh, the, um, is the material uh, energy, etc. The the logos is uh, the cognitive dimension of that. Uh, that is the understanding that goes with uh, the the pneuma. And and this this is something. This might be strange, uh, perhaps to for us to understand. Um, we can speak about cognition in in our own case because we. Have logos and we talk, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But but uh, how should you speak of logos in the world at large, which to our mind uh, is um, through and through material? But but the Stoic answer, of course, is that uh, that the logos of the world is God. God is present everywhere in uh, the world and thinking. The world, as it were, yeah. what what we human beings do when we actualize our logos, our capacity for thought, is that we, as it were, in uh, engage with and relate to that logos which is present everywhere, namely in 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 God. Um, so so uh, 
I, I, I don't think there is, as it were, any problem at all about uh, understanding uh, the concept of logos, where it comes up in the early Christians, uh, in the early Christian writings, in connection with, uh, or, or the relationship between that and and their talk of the pneuma. Uh, yeah. And the, the reason there is no problem there is that they are precisely one of the same thing uh, in the stoic conceptuality, which uh, I think underlies in this particular case what what the uh, Christians are saying. If I can just make a brief uh, jump into the Gospel of John, um, you know, it, it, I sort of noticed uh, on your face that you know that it begins uh, with, in beginning was um, uh, the Logos, etc., and the Logos while who was, was with God, etc. Um, uh, People have been reflected, uh, been reflecting what what does the logos mean here, and they have normally said, well, uh, it's another uh, term for Christ. Christ was in the beginning; he was with God, uh, etc., and then he uh, came down on earth in um, uh, and and became a human fleshly uh, being. I think this is. Um, I think this is, um, well, both right and, and wrong, but it, it's uh, wrong in the sense that uh, what he wants to identi identify and to talk about to begin with is precisely not Christ, because Christ comes in, uh, Jesus Christ, as it were, comes in a little later in the so-called prologue of, uh, uh, of uh, the Gospel of John. He wants to talk about precisely Logos as um uh, God's way of uh, thinking, God's way of uh, thinking about the world, planning even uh, how the world is uh, to develop, mm. etc. Uh, but then the interesting thing is to ask, well, how should we then uh, understand that the Logos may become present in an individual human being, Jesus, so that Jesus becomes Christ, uh, a representative, representative of uh, the Logos. Um, uh, and uh, I have proposed that we actually get an, un uh, an answer to that question if we read on still in chapter one of uh, the Gospel of John and see uh, how uh, the text in the words of uh, John the Baptist, explains the coming to be on the world in the world of the Logos uh, by saying that happened when Jesus, a human being, was baptized by God when he received what the pluma. Mm. So there you have. Uh, we begin with the Logos. And talk about that in the abstract, as it were, as the cognitive capacity, etc., God's cognitive capacity, etc. And then, if we want to uh, understand how that cognitive capacity logos actually becomes present in uh, a specific human being, namely Jesus, so as to make him Jesus Christ, the answer is that God baptized Jesus with the pneuma. Because pneuma and logos is uh, 
as we said, one and, one and the same thing. So this is an, an example, I think, of uh, another example of how to bring in uh, a stoic um, conceptuality and to explain something in the text itself that calls for uh, an answer. Uh, it's it's okay to uh, start out with the logos and then to see well and the logos came to be present in in Jesus um, and and if we then ask um, how that happened most people will say well that's a mystery that's that's uh, that's um, that that's part of the mystical quality uh, of uh, God's interaction and whatever but no I don't think that they uh, sort of mystery in, 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 in that way. I actually think that they wanted to explain it as, as well as they could, and they uh, made use of this uh, philosophical uh, conceptuality of Logos and Pneuma, and uh, said, well, it actually happened when he was baptized. You could say then, well, uh, but that is a mystery that God interacted and sent his uh, Pneuma down on, on Jesus, etc. Of course it is, um, in a way, but, um, but, but still they have gone one step further in conceptualizing, uh, explaining in basically philosophical terms what what it means hmm. and, and and what is what is the thing that is supposed to happen to a person because I, I i don't know if you're necessarily saying that it was only jesus christ who was i guess baptized by the no, no. No. but but when 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 a person is is mm -hmm. supposed to be baptized what is mm -hmm. the result of having the pneuma and the logos combined in that process mm -hmm. i don't know mm -hmm. if i'm putting mm -hmm. that right but but what is the before and after state uh mm -hmm. of this mm -hmm. baptism of of logos right 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 um but this is another place where I think uh, one is again helped um, by one's knowledge of Stoicism in, in explaining that or spelling it out. Uh, and I think we could here perhaps make use of the passage in Romans um, chapter 7, the famous one, uh, uh, where Paul says, the, the good uh, that I know I don't do, uh, instead I do something uh, wrong, etc. Uh, that's chapter 7, and then moving into chapter uh, 8, um, uh, you know, in the way I, I'll explain. I take it, uh, but there's a lot of discussion about it, I take it that um, in chapter 7 he is describing uh, a case of uh, acrasia. Do you know what it is? Acrasia? No. Uh, weakness of will. Weakness okay. of will. Uh, and, and that was a, a, a problem that had been addressed uh, in Plato, also in Aristotle, very uh, pointedly. Uh, and, and then also, I believe that um, uh, uh, acrasia is what uh, passions are in Stoicism. And as you may know, the Stoics uh, precisely argued that passions had to be eradicated. They had to be uh, removed completely. But uh, I, I think that um, uh, the stoic conception of a passion is one of acrasia, where you do know what you both want to do and should know, but uh, should do, do, but then suddenly you realize that you're doing something else. 
That that is weakness of will uh, in in the normal trans- translation. And what Paul is describing in chapter seven of Romans is a Jew like himself uh, who had the Mosaic law and wanted to follow the Mosaic law because that was uh, what God God had uh, decreed, Uh, but then suddenly realizes that um, uh, he cannot uh, follow uh, that law in in all the necessary details, uh, and and that is a problem. He ends up uh, uh, shouting, uh, oh, I desperate uh, human being who can help me and things like that. And then comes in, in chapter 8, uh, a story about what happens when the pneuma is present. And and that is what you get uh, when you become first a Christ believer, and then uh, when, when you then um, uh, are baptized, actually baptized with water. But the idea is that being baptized with water also infuses the pneuma uh, into into you, and it begins to transform you in the way that will end up uh, in the resurrection. Mm. So, so that's a crucial, crucial step in the development of a Christ believer. Um, and what does that mean then? Uh, well, in in Romans chapter eight. Uh, he says that once you have received the pneuma, then you fulfill the law. You actually do fulfill the law because uh, the pneuma, with its logos, of course, has managed to um, eradicate, remove those passions that were relics, as it were, of one's uh, earlier life. Um, this idea that Paul actually spoke for uh, what the Stoics um, uh, termed apathia. Have you come across that notion? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The removal of the passions Mm. uh, is uh, is actually formulated in a a, a verse in um, his letter to the Galatians, which incidentally I believe, underlies that passage in Romans we were talking about, 7 to 8, where he says that those uh, who um, belong to Christ, that is, Christ believers, have crucified crucified the sacks, the flesh, together with its passions, pathemata, passions, and desires. Uh, have crucified it. That means they have eradicated them. Once you have uh, uh, obtained, well, birth Christ faith and also been baptized uh, baptized, uh, with the pneuma, then you have uh, got rid of uh, the passions. This is a very, I think, very clear uh, use of a basic, basically stoic uh, conceptuality in... in, 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 He conceives of... um, uh, the status of Christ believers once they have been baptized, etc., in terms of stoic apathia, not non-passion. Hmm. Um, the, the the question you should then 
ask me by following up on what we we have now been talking about uh, the difference between um, the pre uh, Christ face uh, kind of life and the post Christ face uh, kind of life when you have received the pneuma. Um, the question you should then ask is why on earth, if that is Paul's way of conceiving uh, Christ believers, why on earth does he constantly um, uh, exhort them to uh, not to follow the desires? I mean, if they have already been, been as it were, brought into a status of, uh, or state of um, actually sinlessness, this is something I, I believe he, he argues for, sin, Christ believers are sinless. They have been removed from that whole world where people sin, etc. Then why does he constantly uh, exhort them to do the same uh, kind of thing? Uh, and, and I think there is a good, very good um, uh, answer to that question, uh, which is that Paul's exhortation is not um, to be understood as uh, an attempt to bring them to a new place where they um, have not been before. On the contrary, it presupposes that they already are where they are supposed to be, but then it wants to remind them of that so that yeah. they, as it were, keep it uh, alive in their minds and uh, act on it. Uh, there's a, uh, I have a friend in, 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 in Denmark uh, who has found a quite good... Um, uh, sort of metaphor uh, for this, that Paul acts when he constantly exhorts his um, um, uh, addressees, he acts as a, a tr uh, coach in a mental, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, physical center, no, 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 what, what do you call it, uh, where you're training, where you train yourself, what do you call it? Uh, a gymnasium or yeah no no well like a, like uh, a mental you, you trainer have, you you go and you you do all that kind of stuff on your own uh, yeah. you practice yeah uh, weights uh, you're talking about no uh, I mean if you go down the street and you want to take exercise you go into a place that you call what a gym. A gym. Okay. Yeah. So uh, he, Paul acts as a coach in a sort of mental gym. He yeah. is uh, shouting to the people he is coaching that they, uh, they have wonderful muscles and now they have to do this or do that in order to maintain their muscles. Yeah. Uh, and, and the idea is the same that they, they have already got this uh, um, mental outfit, uh, as it were, that is required to, to behave properly. And now they just have to uh, keep fit, as it were. That, and is this where the idea of faith without works is dead comes into the to the equation? Uh, well, I know it, it might not come in yes. now, but it's it's used yeah, in that sort of way, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, that's right. Uh, it's a quotation actually from the letter to, letter of James, so it's not from Paul at all. Uh, yeah. But but you are right that Paul uh, himself insists on that uh, that uh, faith. Uh, will issue through uh, the pneuma in the appropriate acts. Hmm. He says in Galatians 5, 6, um, that the only thing that matters in uh, connection with Christ's faith is a faith which is active through love. And, and there he uses the term for is active uh, for for practice, actions, uh, 
um, in exactly the same way as in that quotation from uh, the letter of James. Uh, so, so when the letter of James criticizes Paul for, uh, as it were, uh, talking only of faith, it's just uh, totally wrong. Uh, mm. Paul indeed wanted to say that faith issues in the appropriate acts, and and if if they are not appropriate acts, then then there's not uh, genuine faith. Yeah. Um, and and you know, I, I want to touch on one more quick element um, of the uh, – I want to jump back to the physics side of things so quickly. And then I, mm-hmm. I'd really love to um, just have a quick conversation as well about the, the uh, Stoic ethics as it pertains to uh, Christian mm-hmm. ethics. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, something that you said there kind of made uh, – a little while back made me kind of think of a connection – that might be a connection, might not be. But I know that in in Genesis, it kind of there, there's a passage there. You'll know this better than I do. Uh, that says something like, uh, "The spirit of God flowed upon the earth," um, yeah. and that might be the uh, pneuma of God uh, mm. flowed upon the earth. But then mm. you have the idea of the logos. I don't know if it was introduced earlier than this, but is the logos introduced predominantly in the New Testament? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so if you have the logos introduced in the New Testament and and the spirit in the Old mm-hmm. Testament, is it kind of mm-hmm. like is the is that one of the reasons, one of the correlations you see between, or I guess one of the combining factors of the New and the Old Testament, bringing the pneuma together with the logos, which creates the whole picture. Yes, that both, could be a massive both, stretch, yes, and I both, know I'm out of yes my league no. here. But. Both yes and no. Um, the thing is that the Logos is also in a way present in uh, the Old Testament. Uh, um, yeah. uh, as you recall, in, in Genesis, the beginning of, of Genesis, um, uh, the world is created when God spoke. Uh, and yeah. and the speaking, of course, uh, ligine in Greek uh, is um, the uh, verbal form of... Um, um, the substantive, which is logos. So you could say that God spoke out of his uh, logos, etc. So in a way, I think uh, um, I think um, hmm, that there is definitely something uh, in the Old Testament that corresponds to uh, logos in the New Testament only. And here we have it again. Um, uh, in the New Testament, we live sim- quite simply in a different kind of uh, intellectual context uh, than they did way back in uh, in, in, in um, uh, Judaism. And at that point, uh, Logos had had gained uh, a content that was basically philosophical. So uh, at that point, um, you couldn't talk about Logos without bringing in somehow uh, a whole load of uh, philosophy. Uh, so, so I think the, 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 the best way of uh, putting this is by saying, as we already did, that um, there, there are similar ideas in the Old Testament and they can be developed in a um, more precise way once you have the philosophy. Uh, yeah. And that happens for both 
pneuma, which is also there in the Old Testament, and for uh, Logos, uh, which is also in some way uh, there in uh, the Old Testament. When, 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 when we get down to the New Testament period, they simply have the philosophical tools that enable them to uh, um, think through and articulate this uh, a bit more clearly. Yeah. Man, this is this is unbelievably fascinating. You know, every time I speak to an expert on the Bible, I'm just blown away by the complexity uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people make it out to be quite quite simple. And in many ways, there are some simple uh, ideas in there. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was best said, but I think Jordan Peterson said that the great thing about the Bible is that there's something in there for both the person who just wants simple advice for life, but there's also mm-hmm. something in there for the deep intellectual who wants to go as deep as possible into these kinds yeah, of ideas. Yeah, um, but but if, that, that is, yeah. Sorry, go on. Uh, but th- that is precisely um, because um, the intellectual content con- context uh, has changed when you move from uh, the Old Testament period, whatever that was, uh, no, nobody really knows. But at least it, it's it's before, uh, say, 200 and no, what is it? Before 150 uh, BCE. That's yeah. the latest uh, work in in the Old Testament. When you move from that and into the first century CE, um, uh, where philosophy has become a, a, a force of thinking in society as a whole. Uh, that 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 really constitutes uh, an an important change. It's not necessarily that something entirely new uh, has come up, but but there has been a sharpening uh, of the tools that are available for thinking about these things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's um it's it it's just so complicated, <laughs> and I'm and I'm yeah, absolutely yeah, loving that, jumping that, into that, it. That's you know, what make it, makes it, yeah, uh, that's that what makes it worthwhile. Yeah. You know, and. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, uh, I guess this might be my final question because I want to be uh, mm-hmm. respectful of your time as well. W- what do you see as some of the main similarities between Stoic ethics and Christian ethics and maybe some of right. the biggest differences? Yeah, I'm glad you uh, put that question because it again um, brings me to something that is, uh, as I see it, entirely uh, um, central uh, to uh, particularly Paul's ethics. Um, which is this. In the the verse I quoted to you, Galatians 5, 6, uh, where he says that what matters is um, faith that is active through love, um, the verse begins by saying that in Christ neither circumcision, that is being a Jew, nor uncircumcision, that is being a non-Jew, matters only Faith that is active through love. Now, uh, Paul is here operating with a a kind of double model, I think. Um, There is only one thing that matters, uh, but then there are some other things underneath, uh, which are, as a Stoic would say, um, adiaphora. And, And that means they are indifferent. Uh, they, they do not uh, have any role to play in relation to what is at the top. Because what is at the top is what is all important for, um, Paul says, salvation, and the Stoics would say for happiness. 
But there are some other things underneath. They are indifferent in relation to that thing up there, but then they are nevertheless present. I mean, you either are a Jew or you are not a Jew. And it may have some importance, only it has no importance uh, in relation to either happiness or salvation. So that's a kind of double model which you'll find exactly the same in uh, Stoicism. Mm. In, in fact, they had, they had created it. Uh, the, the difference between the only thing that is good, you know, there's only thing, one thing that is good, namely living in accordance with nature, etc. And then there are some other things uh, down here which are either, mm, well, nice to have, uh, or uh, nice to get rid of, etc. But but still, they are indifferent. They they whether you have them or you don't have them plays no role whatever in relation to the good uh, and hence in relation to happiness. So there is this double uh, model, which uh, and this is something I am uh, uh, arguing in a book that comes out in uh, the United States next year uh, called Paul on Identity. Hmm. Uh, I, I argue that this model, which is basically a Stoic model, uh, plays a huge role in Paul and and a much larger uh, role than than we are want uh, or not, not uh, habituated to think. Um, it explains uh, what he says, for instance, about being a Jew or not being a Jew. It explains why he can say that. Uh, whether you are a slave or a master does not matter. But still, of course, there is a difference there, and that is something one had to think about. It explains why you can say uh, that whether you are a man or a woman is uh, unimportant. Uh, but still, of course, there are differences between men and women, and they continue, etc., etc. So, so there is something to be said on on at both levels, as it were. Um, and I think this this model helps us to understand uh, the um, coherence of a whole lot of things uh, that he does say in, in on on these various topics. Uh, and basically, this model is derived from stoicism. Hmm. So, so I think that's a very good example of um, of something that's that structures his. Uh, his uh, way of thinking about co coming back to ethics, uh, that um, the only thing that matters is faith that is active through love. Yeah. Um, I, could, I could also add one more thing um, that has to do with this is... Um, in Galatians, the letter to Galatians, chapter 5, uh, just after he has given this verse uh, I just uh, spoke about, uh, he explains a difference between living in accordance with the law, uh, and that means that you can, um, uh, from time to time, do some, some of these uh, uh, bad things that the law are against, and, and then he gives a long list of what these bad things are. They are act types um, that people fall into, as it were. Uh, the, to be contrasted with that is, in the same passage, something he calls the fruit of the pneuma. Hmm. And the fruit of the pneuma, it begins with uh, agape, with love, and then comes joy, etc., etc. These are not act types. 
they are virtues, that is states of mind. Uh, and the whole point is the one I, we, we spoke about uh, before, that once you have this kind of um, state of mind, then you don't risk any longer doing the, any of these bad things. But what I wanted to point out here is that uh, if you look at carefully at um, the difference in, uh, in the difference between the long list of bad things uh, and the long list of good things, uh, and now not talking about uh, act types and states of mind, but about the content of what uh, belongs in either list, then the answer is that um, the bad things are all um, centered on the individual, yourself, as it were. It's hmm. it's uh, either desire for bodily things, or it's uh, if you uh, engage in quarrels with your uh, um, other other people, etc. It's all based in yourself. Yeah. So that's a bad thing. Whereas the good things, the states of mind, uh, they are precisely uh, other directed. So you have here, in terms of content, a contrast between self-directedness, as it were, and uh, being other-directed. And that, again, I think, is something that uh, is, is articulated in uh, Stoicism in their theory of uh, oikaiosis. I don't know whether you've heard about that, but, but, but this, this is, again, a contrast between um, selfishness in fact where where you um, uh, try to get um, constantly all the good things for yourself etc and then um, uh, the proper directedness towards what is good namely living in accordance with nature which in terms of substance means that you are actually directed to the others, to other human beings. So you have the same kind of uh, contrast there uh, in terms of the content of uh, viciousness on the one side and, and goodness on the other. I yeah. think that is also, well, perhaps not derived from, but uh, again from Stoicism. I think that the double model is derived from Stoicism. I'm not sure that this other contrast is derived from Stoicism, but again, I think that it's, uh, uh, looking at it in a Stoic way helps to sharpen the understanding of what is going on. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I love this connection between the kind of uh, stoic cosmopolitan view of, you know, being interconnected to everybody mm -hmm. and wanting to direct mm -hmm. our attention to the betterment of humanity uh, with mm -hmm. Paul's, yeah, Paul's idea of uh, faith and love. And, you know, I've also, I've, I've also always felt like the, the stoic view of love your fate has such mm -hmm. a uh, such a, a, a at least a philosophical connection to the idea that of having faith in say God's plan or having faith in mm -hmm. um, that that things will um, well I mean yeah, that yeah. will happen according to God's plan yeah. because it's kind of like yeah. trust the universe trust God right. trust whatever you call right. it it's trust right. that it will happen how right. it happens and that yeah. if you face it with love and kindness and mm -hmm. and you know with the logos uh, then mm -hmm. you can you can make the most out of that right yeah 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 well that's a good point uh, and I think it is supported by the fact that um, you know, uh, the Stoics uh, were against the passions, but they also had the so-called eupathiae, 
Do you, have you heard about them? I the have, yes. Yeah. yeah. One of them is joy. Uh, and chara uh, in, in Greek. Uh, and joy is um, a sort of reaction to the world at large that uh, conforms with this uh, love of fate. You accept what happens and you feel joy because you are part of uh, the world as a whole. Uh, and it is interesting that there's one letter uh, by Paul uh, that precisely focuses on on joy, and that is a letter to the Philippians, uh, where he again and again speaks, he is in prison, etc., but um, he belongs elsewhere and not in prison, etc., so he is um, um, filled with uh, joy, and, and, and it goes through the whole letter. It, it is the same, the same idea that you just uh, articulated so nicely. Yeah, well, you know, Trolls, this has been an awesome conversation. Um, you know, the, the, what, what, I've done most of the talking, but uh, I'm sorry about that. That's exactly what I wanted. You know, but what what I what I really love uh, about this conversation is that um, you know it's been uh, you've just given me so much great stuff to think about. And, and so much to challenge myself with as well. You know, like we had a conversation earlier of how I'm looking to really kind of sink my teeth into this sort of stuff as I, you know, probably over the next 40, 50 years, it's a long process. But, um, but you know, seeing somebody like yourself who has, you know, really spent a lifetime trying right. to get to the bottom of this sort of stuff, it's really inspiring. So thank you for, you know, for, for being that inspiration. Um, You're most welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. If you'd like to sign up for email updates, join my Patreon meetup groups that we hold weekly, or if you'd like to offer feedback or suggestions for future guests or topics on the show, then you can head to simonjedrew.com. There you'll also find information about how we can work one-on-one together with my alignment coaching, based around the philosophical principles found in Stoicism. Finally, if you are on Facebook, then I'd love to see you in our group, The Practical Stoic Mastermind. But hey, I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I'll talk to you next time.